Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. We have three passages of Scripture today, and so you may want to, if you've got your Bibles or your phones, you might want to go ahead and get Philippians 2, uh, Matthew 7, and Matthew 16. Uh, we'll need all those today as we go through through worship, and so you can, can have those ready. Let's pray together. Oh God, we are grateful to be in your presence. We're grateful to open your word and to listen carefully to what we find there to be shaped by what you say to us today. We pray for your Holy Spirit to move among us, to open our hearts and minds and our ears to what you say to us in this place. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, you who are our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and may the people of God say, Amen. Uh, we continue, uh, really, in our second week of the Breathing Underwater series. This is uh, the book that we're using, of course, along with the Scriptures, to think about uh, the 12 steps of recovery and the gospel of Jesus Christ and how they are really kind of woven together in some beautiful ways. This is what the book looks like. If you'd like to have a copy, you can get that online. We will have some copies available pretty soon here at the church for those who'd like to do a little deeper uh, study and work. I'll, I'll just say um, we're doing two chapters a week in worship in a, about a 15-minute, well, that's hopeful, isn't it, 25-minute sermon. And uh, it's hard to cover and to get at the, the meat of these chapters. And so I would encourage you to get a copy of this and, and be reading along too. There's just so much here, more than what we can say in, in a sermon. Last week, uh, we started talking about this. And I want to say again, as we get into the conversation, we're, we're looking at the 12 steps of recovery that folks in Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and all those groups, the steps that they use. And so we're learning from them. We're borrowing from them. Many of you are part of those recovery communities. Many of, many of us are not. And so I just want to honor their work and to realize that we're all learning about this together. And remember last week, I told you I had some friends that I talked to and I asked their permission since they are in that group. I said, can, can I do this? Would you give me permission to have this conversation with our folks? And they said, you don't need our permission. 
go right ahead, just don't say anything stupid. So that's what I'm try, still trying to do, just don't say anything stupid. <laughs> so I'm grateful again to have their permission, but I want to honor the fact that uh, we are talking about something that some of us haven't really experienced directly, uh, but is uh, wonderfully helpful in our thinking about the good news of Jesus Christ. Last week, we considered what it means to admit our powerlessness over our addiction, or we might say over our sin, and we also confessed our desperation. That was the second step, to confess our desperation for some power greater than ourselves to act on our behalf. Powerlessness and desperation, that's where we left off last week, and so now we come to the next movement in this 12-step journey. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 and 13. Let's hear the word of God together. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, now not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Oh my goodness, with fear and trembling. I looked up the Greek to see if we could get a little relief from the fear and trembling. And you know what those words mean in the Greek? Fear and trembling, so we don't get any relief there. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We think now about working out our own salvation with fear and trembling and what that might mean. We think also about the third step on the journey to recovery, which is, we might say in a word, surrender, surrender. In the 12-step world, we make a very conscious decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as you understand God. We make a very conscious decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Surrender is a key element of our Christian faith as well, but we struggle, we struggle with surrender. We find that surrender is actually quite a challenge to us, in part because surrender requires open and honest acceptance of our reality as it actually is right now, rather than how we want it to be or how we imagine that it is. I have long been a kind of an amateur student or watcher of uh, organizational psychology and leadership, and it's, it's fascinating to watch how groups, especially big groups, uh, deal with stuff that happens. In some sense, uh, you can measure the health of a community or a group or an organization by, by how it deals with the obstacles that it encounters. I've seen at least three types, three big types of groups and how they respond to obstacles that they encounter. The first thing is, is almost always the circle the wagons and do nothing until the problem goes away approach. Anybody know about the circle the wagons and do? It's also called the head in the sand approach. We, sometimes people say head in some other place, but head in the sand approach is what we, what we call that. Uh, I kind of put that aside because we don't really learn much from that approach to things. Uh, the other two teach us a lot more than, than that approach. And so the first of the other two uh, often 
a less healthy organization will encounter some obstacle or a problem, and the first thing they'll do is call for the sledgehammer, right? We call for that. We got the problem, bring the hammer. We know what to do. We use the hammer. When it doesn't work, we call the engineer and we say, how many sticks of dynamite do we need to fix this problem? And they say, you need one. And we say, put 10 on there. We light the fuse. We blow it up. We blow everything. The kingdom come. The obstacle is gone. The only problem is the damage done is overwhelming and lasting. The obstacle might be gone, but so is half the team, the trust, the motivation that once was there in that organization, in that group, in that team. A more healthy group might do things very differently. They tend to stop. They kind of back up. They look. They study the obstacle. They explore. They listen. They think, and they come to some understanding, and often they find that there is an easy way around or over or under. Sometimes you do have to go right through the thing, but these groups find opportunity in the obstacle, and they come out on the other side, stronger, healthier, wiser. You've probably been a part of both kinds of groups. I certainly have. Each one has its own level of excitement, but most of us would find the second group to be a better choice for the long haul for our own health and sanity. So what's the difference in these two groups, these two approaches to obstacles or problems? Well, I think the difference is acceptance, acceptance. The healthier group accepts the obstacle, the problem, the issue for what it is. They don't have to affirm it, but in their bold acceptance of reality, even when it's troublesome, they discover opportunity. The struggle we have as a people of faith is that even though our culture talks a big talk about acceptance, we rarely mean what we say about acceptance. The image of acceptance is very different than the reality thereof. It's much easier for me to say I accept you or to post something on Facebook about accepting you than it is for me to actually accept you into my heart and into my life and my home. What does all that have to do with surrender? Well, as we think about addiction, about our own brokenness, about what we called last week our stinking thinking and our sin, we must first accept our reality, accept our reality before we become desperate enough to truly surrender. Our culture has taught us that the image of acceptance is the same as the reality of acceptance. It is not. It is not at all. Many an addict will tell you that the breakdown in their recovery has often come with the image of acceptance rather than the reality Society offers this blanket acceptance that says, I am just fine the way that I am. The 12-step journey and the Christian faith both offer a resounding no, no. God promises that you are loved and accepted just the way you are, but you may not be just fine the way that you are. Still, you are loved and accepted. That's real acceptance not the image thereof. Now, when I say you may not be just fine the way you are, 
I'm not thinking about going to hell or eternal damnation or some silly judgment that says you've got to get your act together before you can become a Christian. I'm not thinking about that at all. I'm talking about the personal hell we live and put each other through because we resist accepting who we actually are, warts and all. I'm talking about our own contributions to the massive pool of human brokenness which has infected the world. I'm talking about our sin, and we've all got it. We all have it. Better to recognize that we've all got it, to accept each other as Christ has accepted us, as Romans 15, 7 says, rather than to resist reality, pretending that we don't have a problem or that we somehow have already fixed the problem ourselves. In Jesus, God has accepted all of us and the whole world completely. God invites us to accept ourselves completely in the safety of God's grace and love so that we can truly see the brokenness, our own brokenness, and the path to wholeness which God offers in Jesus. Surrendering to God is the pathway to wholeness, putting our trust in this God whom we trust more than ourselves is the pathway to salvation. Still, we don't like surrender, do we? We don't like the word. We don't like it at all. We like to fight. We like John Wayne. That's who we like. We want to be like him. We don't want to surrender. The problem is, when it comes to matters of human brokenness, the scriptures teach us the only, the only way forward is acceptance and surrender. Though we do find many helpful substitutes to that along the way, let's look at Matthew 16, 24. Here's something interesting here in Matthew 16, 24. Uh, Jesus gives us the first step on the way of a disciple here in Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them, what? What's the word? Let them deny themselves, thank you Terry, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Yes, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? Immediately, our minds go to self-sacrifice, don't they? That's what this makes us think about, taking up cross, following Jesus, putting others first, giving up your life for the sake of others. That's where we go. That's all very biblical. But that is not actually what Jesus is saying here. In all three gospel accounts of Jesus' call to follow, Jesus says very plainly in the Greek, if any want to follow me, let them renounce self. Let them renounce self, take up cross, follow me. The invitation here is to renounce self as Lord of your life and by implication to name Jesus as Lord of your life. It is to wave the white flag of surrender, to give yourself over to the God revealed in Jesus, then take up the cross and follow him. Here's the struggle. This is so difficult and so deep and requires so much of us that we Christians have developed a way of renouncing the self without actually having to renounce the self. Rohr in this book calls it the myth 
of the heroic self-sacrifice, the myth of the heroic self-sacrifice. If you've been around the church for more than 30 minutes, it just takes 30 minutes to find this. You have seen this in action. You know exactly what it is. We, uh, we frame our invitations in it. We put it on a pedestal. We even celebrate it, even though we know we shouldn't. But it is not renouncing the self. At another church where I served, we had this woman who was just, just the model of Christian self-denial. She was always at everything. She did everything. She helped everybody. She gave everything. She sacrificed so much of her life for the benefit of others. We all marveled at her. We wanted to be like her. We loved her so much. Then she got sick. She got really, really sick. And for the first time in her life, she had time to think. On one of my visits with her, she just broke down in tears and anger. She was full, full to the brim of bitterness and resentment. I was about 26 years old. I did not know what in the world to do but just shut up and listen to her as all this stuff just came pouring out. Every visit became a recounting of all that she had done and how much she had sacrificed and how wrong it was that in the twilight of her life she should be faced with the indignity of a body failing and a church which had not sufficiently rushed to her side. She died with all of those feelings still right in the forefront of her mind. I trust, I know that she and God worked it all out, but I'll bet God got a terrible tongue lashing when she got up there. I wish, I wish I had been smart enough to ask a very important question. Why? Why? Why did you do all that sacrificing? Why? Was it to respond to God's gift of Jesus? That should be the why, to respond to God's gift of Jesus. Was it to earn what God gave you as a gift? That's wrong. We can't do that, but at least we're working in the right direction. Was that it? Or, or was it to maintain your own sense of power and control over your life by doing that which we think God wants us to do rather than submitting our will to God's Maybe, maybe because we are afraid to trust that God truly is able to care for us better than we can care for ourselves. Whew, that's a big question. That's a big question, a question that we should be asking each other. The heart of the gospel hinges upon our journey towards surrender as we learn to love and trust this God revealed in Jesus. Surrender is a crucial step on the journey to recovery, but it's actually quite difficult. As the old preachers used to say, most people are happy to have Jesus as Savior, but they're not too sure about having Jesus as Lord. We are reminded today that either Jesus becomes both Savior and Lord, or Jesus is neither. The fourth step in the 12-step journey comes after this surrender, and it is this. We make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. With the help of God and those closest to us, usually, we look in the mirror and we see clearly what is there. We write it down. We capture it. We accept it, being very careful to work through our complicated thoughts. 
We're not interested in this step. We're not interested in a critical spirit and heavy-handed judgment and condemnation or shame. No, no, we're just trying to see the truth of who we have become so that we can cooperate with the grace of God that is at work within us. We're not preparing ourselves for surrender. We're not trying to clean up our act before we say yes to Jesus. We've already said yes to Jesus. No, no, we are standing in the presence of a holy God asking to be made well and whole knowing that means honest conversation about what's going on within us, both the good and the bad. Now, the way you think about God and the gospel has a lot to say about how you can embrace the work of this really important step. If God is like that boss who terrifies you, the one you hide stuff from, the one you whisper about over in the corner, why, you'll have a hard time trusting God's love enough to do this hard work of a searching and fearless moral inventory. But if your understanding of God is more like the one we find in Jesus in Matthew 7, things look very different. Let's read Matthew 7. Jesus writes this about the Father. Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, your God in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Do y'all remember, some of y'all remember, my first Sunday here. Uh, I told you about the first boss I ever had. His name was, was Chester Gordon, and he was one of my high school teachers, a mentor, a family friend, and he also ran a farm for his brothers. Uh, I went to work for him, but I think I was 15 when I went to work out there, maybe the end of being 14. Uh, you probably remember, if you were here, you remember the story I told. I broke so many things in the first three days on the job. So many things. It was terrible. It was shameful and embarrassing. It was quite a list, which included a tractor, a pickup truck, a weed eater, two lawnmowers, two shovels and a rake, and almost some very expensive Peruvian peso horses that I had let out across the highway. And so you remember on the day that all of this kind of came to a head for me. I, I offered up my resignation speech to Mr. Gordon with great sorrow and remorse. I went through the list, and then that man preached the gospel over my life. Do you remember what he said after I gave my tear-filled list of broken stuff? Do you remember what he said? He said, we can replace anything you break but we can never replace you. That is what love and acceptance looks like. I think that's what Jesus teaches us the heart of God looks like. Now, you better believe I spent the next five years with Mr. Gordon working, learning, growing, becoming the best farmhand anybody could have ever wanted. I even trained three new ones before I went off to college. You see... When people do that thing God does in Jesus, why, the whole world gets better. 
when people actually do believe the best about us until it becomes true, not because it is already true, we change, we grow, we become the people God has called us to be. Ultimately, that is what wholeness looks like. That is what salvation looks like. Now, we're talking about working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, not because we are afraid of this God who is saving us, but because we tremble, we tremble before the power of love, which chooses to believe the best about us until it becomes true. We've got to work that out together, don't we? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, would you pray with me? Oh God, we're grateful for your call on our lives, for this journey of salvation that is unfolding before us, for what it is to surrender, to make that list, to be at peace in your presence, knowing that you have already claimed us, you have already loved us, and you are already at work within us, helping us to become the people you have called us to be. Thank you that you give us permission to be honest, to be truthful with each other, with you, and especially with ourselves. Help us to do it. In the name of Jesus, amen. 